So today I'm starting with my new series on the book of Jonah. Um, we're going to look at him a little bit for a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a year. You have no idea. We'll see as we go along uh, how long it will take us to get through this book. But today it's just sort of a general introduction. Uh, there was one thing after I read the book that really came to me, and that's what I would like to share with you today. And then next week we will start with chapter 1, verse 1, and go through this then on. See what's going on there with this guy. But before we continue, will you please bow your head and will you please pray with me? Our Lord, we come to you as our Lord and our God and as our Father. How can we say Daddy to the one that created heaven and earth? When I look up at the sky and I see the blueness of the sky above us during the day and the Black at night and the stars and the clouds and, and the moon. I'm reminded of this God and how great you are and what you have done and what you can do. Then I realized, but I can call you by name like I could call my dad or my mom. And I could say, Father, Dad. And then you listen. That's your promise. You tell us that you care enough for us that wherever we are and whoever we are, you will give us your attention. I can't even get a lot of people in this world to listen to me. But you will. You will when we call your name. You honestly care. Lord, as we're going to look at this amazing story, and while you were on this earth, you mentioned at some point the story of Jonah. Uh, help us as we're going to look at this man and his life and his journey to discover in it that's also applicable to us in this time and this age. We are your people. <laughs> Please share with us, Lord, what you would like us to know in a way that we can serve your kingdom, in a way that the world will know you are God. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So tell me about your city. Well, we, our city is on the banks of the Tigris, Tigris River. I think in your day and age, it's where Mosul is in Iraq. It's a long city. It's along the banks of this river, and everybody wants a water view, so it's a really stretched out city, sort of. Approximately 120,000 people live in our city. It's not too bad living there, because we've got water. We are at this point sort of at peace because our king, Shalman Nasser IV, um, has succeeded in putting our enemies sort of to, to rest. Uh, he's not the kindest guy, and I have heard reports that when he goes out and he subdues our enemies, he doesn't really do great with the women and the children and the men. He wants to make sure the world knows that you should not mess with him or with us. Oh, it's the year 773 uh, before Christ. Our people in our city go about their business because it's peace. They do trading and they do all the kinds of stuff that they normally do. And overall, they think they are okay. I think we are okay. Oh, no, our city was founded by a guy, a guy called Nimrod. Cush was the father of Nimrod who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, 
like Nimrod, a mighty hundred before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalne, and Shinar. From that land he went to Syria where he built Nineveh, Roboth, Ir, Kala and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. We have heard that Nimrod is the great-grandchild of Noah. Yeah, you know, the Israelites, we know about them. I think at this point, Jerobeam II is the king in Israel, and I think um, Shalmaneser IV is not that far away from them, so I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. Oh, God, you know, we've got this god Ishtar. So wherever you go in our town, you will find shrines for this god of ours, and even in the houses you will find this, this little emblem of our god. And she's the god of heaven. Great God we've got. She's the God of love and sexuality and of war and actually of your wildest fantasies. We like this Ishtar very much because you can do sort of whatever you please in many different ways. You ask me how we are doing in our city. I think we're doing okay. People are going about their business and they are just doing whatever they're supposed to do every single day. So I think it's not too bad. My city? My city is much larger than yours. My city is also quite big, so if you would walk around in our city and not drive, it will take you days to really cover all the territory that our city has. In our city, people are also going about their business, they're doing trading, and they go to school, and they get stuck in traffic. It's a different time. We have traffic that you guys never had, and we are also at this point dealing with a kind of plague that's making it sort of difficult for us to do the normal stuff. But I think overall, our city is not doing too bad. You would ask a common guy in the street, are you okay? They would say, yeah, well, okay. Wars, we do not really have had a war close to us recently. Our wars, we fight like a Shastar far away in different countries like Afghanistan and Iraq and these places, and they are not always working out that well for us, but at least it's not here with us. Our God? I need to think about that for a moment. How would I define our God? I think our God's name is Mac. Mac, modern American culture. It's a strange God to have because this God is a little bit like Ishtar. It's a God that tells you you can do whatever you want. It's a God that actually gives you authority and gives you the right to, to live out your freedom in every single way that you want, and there's no restriction for you anymore. It has caused in our country, in our world that I now live in, that the right seems to be wrong and the wrong now seems to be right and everything is sort of upside down. We are allowed to kill babies as many as we want. We are allowed to tell the Lord that we don't agree with what He has given us and I can change everything about me if I want to because it's irrelevant in a sense of who I am because I can decide. In that sense, it's a strange God to worship. We have shrines all over our city. And they are mostly in our houses. Uh, people look at these boxes at their house, in their homes, and these boxes tell them how they should live, and what's right and what's wrong, in a way. And it's determined by people that are yelling at one another on the screen. And they are actually telling us now how we should live and go about our life. There are other religions also in our city, um, but I'm not really sure how good they are doing anymore. Because Mac is the guy. Mac is the one. 
But if you ask me how, how we are doing, I would say overall, okay, if you would ask any guy, you know, do you think we're in trouble? They would say, no, well, there are certain things that bother me, the fires and some hurricanes and some wars. But overall, you know, my house is okay. I mow my lawn. You know, I've got food on the table. I've got water in my faucet. It, it's okay. But are we okay? Are we okay? That's the question. So, the fact that I'm looking down in this world, and I'm looking at all the stuff around me, the things that are important to me, does this mean that I'm actually in control of this world that I now say is my own? Or is there something else that we are missing? Is there someone else that we are missing? Is there something else or someone else that may be in the background that may have a huge or a, a bigger control and role over us than we can imagine, and by ignoring him, will he, will he go away? You see, that's the question that we need to ask, because people are going about their business, they think they are actually okay, but in the background there is a storm coming. The storm has to do with the holiness of God. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing wonders? In verse 1 of the book of Jonah, we will get back there next week again. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So people are actually living on this world in control of their own lives, and they believe that they can fire God. That's to me the most amazing, that if you look at the people around us and the world that we now live in, the world really thinks by ignoring God, by blaspheming God, by mocking God, by actually telling God we do not want Him to be a part of our life, we can sort of fire God, and because we have fired God with respect, then He will leave that this guy that's been pointed to the door and say, now you will leave, and now God is going to leave us, and He's going to leave us alone, and I can do exactly how I want to live my life without dealing with this God that was part of my world that irritated me. That's part of the problem, I think. That we really do live in a time where people really do believe that they can get rid of God by just ignoring Him. By pointing Him the finger. By saying, I just don't want this God. But God is not done with us. And now we have a second group of people, a second group of people that will tell us, well, I've got an excuse. If there's really a God out there, let me just, I don't want you to read this now. If there's really a God out there, and this God is as present as you say He is, and as holy as you tell me He is, why doesn't He show Himself in a way more visible way? Why doesn't this God come and proclaim Himself like Jesus did, walk around and did amazing, do amazing miracles that I can know He's here, He's there? The reason why I'm ignoring God is because I can't see Him. And how can I care for someone I can't see? Jonah began to walk into the city going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed to fast everyone great and small, put on the sackcloth. The shortest sermon preached ever. 40 days, done. And the people actually listened. I normally preach 40 minutes, not 
talking about 40 years, but at least 40 minutes. But I'm not sure how many people really listen to all the stuff that I'm sometimes saying. But here he comes and he preaches the shortest sermon, and then the people actually changes, and they do what? They change their lives. But don't they have a God that's called Ishtar? Ferdy, you just told me that in Nineveh there's this God, Ishtar. That's their God. How would they now, after one sentence sermon, change their lives and say, this God that sent us this prophet, we are going to listen to him? It's because they knew about God. They knew about God. You can't hide from God because God will not stay hidden. They knew the stories of Israel. Why did you think God took Israel and when they were enslaved in Egypt, moved them out of Egypt with so many mighty acts, all the plagues, all the stuff, going through the Red Sea, then, you know, parting the water, and then with them traveling with them for 40 years in the, in the wilderness until they came to, to, to Israel. All of those things happened so that the world around Israel would know there's but one only holy living God in this world, and that's the God of Israel. The stories they've heard of this God was amazing because God wants to be known. And these stories spread out over all the antique world of that time so people would know He's God. They had no excuse not to know. They chose Ishtar. They chose Ishtar because it's a great God to have. Because this God Ishtar gave you the permission to do whatever you wanted to and you could live the life as you yourself decide. If anybody would come to me in our day and time and say, I think I've got an excuse, I would say, you've got no excuse. No excuse. You bring me a, a country in this world, maybe North Korea. You bring me a country in this world where there's not a cross. You bring me a country in this world where they do not celebrate Christmas. Even if they do not understand what Christmas is all about, but on the 24th, 23rd, 22nd of December, all the places in the world start to play Christmas music. And you bring me a country in the world, maybe North Korea, not, where they will not play Silent Night. And then we tell, people tell me they've got an excuse. They tell me they have an excuse not to know. The Bible tells me it's not only the crosses that stands around us, but it's also the visible sign of God's creation around us that's full of His fingerprints that reminds people there's a God that's there out there. I look at my life here and now, but God says, Ferdy, you look up at what I've created and you will see me or you will look for me if you see what's out there. The question is, who do you decide is going to be your God? For the Ninevites, it was Ishtar. For us, it's Mac. It's Mac. Our modern American culture. You know, I struggle to find a picture for this slide. I've many times wondered why, why God is in any way involved with us. You know, I, I, you know guys know this, I do a lot of counseling. And I work with a lot of couples. And how many times in my life I had people walk into my office and say, I'm done. I'm done with this person in my life. I can't, we can't tolerate it anymore. This person has been so disrespectful. This person has not been involved with me, doesn't love me, whatever. I'm done. I'm leaving. And I would ask, so what does this leaving mean? Well, I think I need to get divorced. And then my work starts to try to fix this lot, not to divorce. Why hasn't God divorced us? 
Is there anything that any human really is doing every day so that God would like to be with me? <laughs> is there anything on this planet that I'm doing that God would say, I can't wait for faith to wake up that I can play with Him? I wake up, I don't even think about Him. Well, I do. I go for my run and I try to think about God. But most people don't really think about God that much. And then after my run and I've showered and I'm on my way to the office, I think about other stuff. I think about administration stuff and other things that we need to do. And maybe at the end of the day, oh, God again. God can easily say, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. In the time of Noah, God at some point said, I've just had enough. I'm so disappointed in this lot that I've created. I, I've, I've tried my best with them and they just ignored me. I'm done, but God said, I'll keep a remnant. I'll keep a remnant because how can I be done? How can I be done? So this is what God could give us, a godless world. We sometimes wake up in the morning and say, this world is horrible, but I promise you, this is still not yet a godless world because God is still involved in many different ways in our life. And where's the proof? In this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it for the wickedness has come up before me. That is to me the high point of this whole book of Jonah. That's what I want to share with you today. That's what really touched me the most. And there are so many stories we're going to look at in the next few weeks, months. But the fact that there's this horrible city that don't feel a thing for God, does not care for God, 120,000 people that are actually the enemies of Israel that causes so much harm. Sabaneser, he was a horrible guy in the way that he treated people. But God decided to send Jonah to them. Not only to them, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost, Paul writes to Timothy. So if anybody would ask me, hey, Ferdy, what do you think about the book of Jonah? I will say it's a book about agape, that Greek word that explains to us what love for God actually means. There are three, four different words for, for love in Greek. But agape is actually the word that I think explains God. God's heart, the best for us. Agape means that God comes towards us. We are running away from God. We are telling God to stay away, but God is relentlessly pursuing every single one of us every single day. This book of Jonah is a message for you and for me and for the world out there that God says, I don't care how much you've done wrong, I will come for you. Firstly, it's a God that comes towards us. And why does He come towards us? Because He comes for us. He comes because He wants to pick us up in the depths of the desperation where we are and He wants to give us the life that's only possible in Him. And in this pursuit of us, God says, I will also sacrifice for you. I'm not going to ask of you the sacrifices. I'm going to give it from my end. We know what happened with Jesus. And even with Jonah. Now, when he got home, his mom said to him, so Jonah, where were you for these last 40 years? And when he was done, she said, you need to think out about a different story. <laughs> he had to sacrifice a lot to leave his own place, to travel more than 400 miles to a city there where he didn't really want to be. That was extremely dangerous for him. 
But the big sacrifice was not Jonah's journey. The big sacrifice was Jesus' journey. That came to this world that we may know the heart of God. Of course, this God wants to be with us. And that is to me the most amazing thing. I drive around in this Orlando, and I, and I look at this city, and I look at the faces of the people around me. And last week, I, I preached about celebration and how stark they are. I listen to people in the medical field, and they tell me how depressed people are, and how they struggle, and how they always say they are so overwhelmed by life that they can't really handle and cope with this world. I hear about young people that do not have the energy to face the day and to do the work that they're supposed to do because it's just too much for them. I hear about a world that is so messed up and broken and so complex that I say to myself, God, why are you still allowing us to be here? Come, Lord Jesus, just take me away. I would like to be in heaven, as Paul said. And Paul said this. Go and read Philippians. He says, if I'm here or there, I, 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 I'm glorious, I'm victorious. But I would rather be there than here, but God is still keeping me around for some reason. When I look at this world, I'm reminded that God is not done. Go at once. Go at once. And it, and it made me realize that we do not need to preach long sermons. Well, I, I will stop now. <laughs> you do not need to preach long sermons when you talk to people. Maybe bust. By just saying one sentence to your neighbor or your friend that you will see this week or someone in the office. By saying, you know, this world is so broken, but I believe that God's got it. One sentence. Can make that, can make that person walk away and think about who this God is and may eventually find his or her way back to God because that is what God wants. To me, it's this whole story of the book of Jonah, the story of the heart of God that comes to broken people, to you and to me. I do not know your story. You do, not, you do not really know my full story, but my story and your story are the same of a God that pursued us and we did all kinds of stupid things because we are stupid as humans. But God still comes and He pursues us and He sends people in my life. Like Jonah, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, my mom and my dad, a kid at school, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher who just said, God, Jesus, He cares. We've got a calling. We've got a calling. Every single one of us. We can't just say, it has nothing to do with me. The angels are not going to do this. No one else is going to do this. It's you and me. Where we interact and where we connect with people, remind yourself you're a little bit, of a little bit of a Jonah. Maybe one sentence is all they need, but speak that sentence because God is never done because He wants people to come back to Him. And if they do not come back, God will judge because He's holy and He's God. Let's save them from the judgment of God. Amen.